Hey everybody, this is Jordan here. Um, this is my first ever podcast on call-in. Um, I am the publisher of the dossier on Substack. You could find me on Twitter at Jordan Schachtel, just first name, last name, no spaces. And um, I'm just getting used to this whole platform because I've only been on, um, I've been on Lee Smith's show and Justin Hart's show, but it's um, it's a totally new thing to me, so <laughs> I hope that you guys can hear me okay. But um, I, I believe that this podcast is going to also be available on Spotify and iTunes, so that's cool. So yeah, that's this is going to totally replace um, the former Dossier podcast, which was available on my Substack, dossier.substack.com, and we're going to be doing this twice a week, probably every Friday and every Sunday at around noon Eastern, which I think is a pretty good time. I see on this website that I'm uh, competing with a guy. That's interesting. I think he was the guy who actually wrote the anonymous article in the New York Times, the one about how you know Trump was undermining uh, John McCain's legacy or, or whatever. <laughs> and it's kind of, uh, you know, related to the conversation topic today. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, I got back from vacation a couple of days ago and I've been reading back this Ukraine news narrative. And, and the latest is that Rand Paul seems to be blocking um, unanimous, uh, some kind of unanimous vote or a voice vote in the Senate to pass this $40 billion aid bill for Ukraine. And this unit party in D.C. that, um, you know, I've been reporting on for like eight or nine years now is all up in arms about Rand Paul. You know, how dare he do this? Uh, It's totally unbelievable that he would stop (laughs) what what they're describing as aid to the Ukrainian people. Uh, It it reminds me, if you guys recall, of the COVID mania reaction in early 2020. And there was only basically one GOP representative, who, Thomas Massey, who was against it at the time. And Massey uh, had similar issues. He said, you know, if we're going to spend like trillions of dollars, maybe we should talk about it first. And he was basically yelled at, out of the room by the Uniparty. Same thing. We needed trillions of dollars for coronavirus relief. We printed trillions of dollars. The rest is history, really. So... Today, I don't know. I'm sure this bill is going to pass, unfortunately. What Rand Paul is doing in this sense is he's basically just because this is he's going to be able to delay the inevitable for a bit. But I think a protest vote is important because in a similar way that we're going to try to educate everyone on this issue, this is what Rand Paul is doing. He's creating a platform for himself. He's directing all the fire his way in order to speak truth about this issue. And it, it's utterly ridiculous what's happening now with the, the amount of money that we're throwing into this uh, corrupt country is just totally insane. After this $40 billion bill passes and is signed by the president, we will have delegated, I believe the number is $56 billion over only like two months for Ukraine. And a lot of people are under the assumption that 
this money is like going to be going to the Ukrainian people. And this is the most important issue to clarify here, that not a single penny is going to be going to your average Ukrainian uh, citizen. It might end up in the bank accounts of the Ukrainian elite in the government and in the oligarchy there. But the idea that, that we're like providing some kind of welfare to the Ukrainian people, that's not exactly how this is going whatsoever. Um, we have, so there was, there's been some breakdowns of, of the numbers, you know, through Politico, through Axios, and through the bill itself. Um, and you can go line item by line item, but you have to realize that when we're talking about 20 billion for this, 5 billion for that, 5 billion for another thing, there's a lot of middlemen involved because the money's just being printed and distributed to certain people, but you also need to give all of these uh, middlemen, which includes lawyers, which is especially like this DC lawyer class, the lobbyists, um, these faux middlemen, uh, their boards, the NGOs, you know, they're all kind of like skimming from this giant fund that Congress and the president insisted upon for Ukraine, but none of it's actually going to Ukraine. Um, what has been going on in Ukraine over the last couple of months is that the U.S. has basically been, the U.S. defense industry has been sending weapons that are usable, but not state-of-the-art into Ukraine, because I can guarantee you there's been some kind of like behind-the-scenes situation where these defense contractors are being are getting guarantees that they're going to get better stuff. So it's a win-win. The, you know, we get to fight our proxy war against Russia. The defense contractors are guaranteed to get their money. And the Pentagon can flush out a lot of the old stuff and get all these advanced weapons um, that we're overpaying for from these defense contractors. So inside of the Beltway, everybody wins. <laughs> and that's exactly what, what's going on with the Ukraine situation. And it's just so sad to see that there's, there, there seems to be so many people that don't understand what is going on here. And as, as someone whose specialty is in international affairs and defense and foreign policy, we need to heed the lessons that this 21st century of foreign policy making has taught us. America has created a giant behemoth of corrupt defense industry insiders. And it needs to, <laughs> there needs to be pushback against it. It's sad that it's still in the Senate. I mean, there was like 60 Republicans in the House that voted against this $40 billion. But in the Senate, I would be surprised if they had more than 10 people. So the idea that you can kind of fix the situation by voting for new people, that, that's a bit of a stretch. As much as I like guys like J.D. Vance and Blake Masters, there's definitely more that's going to need to be done to stop this enormously powerful system that's operating out of DC. And one of it is, is one of the key things is understanding and educating yourself about what exactly is going on here. Um, and I've been reading about like the negotiations. So if you recall, Biden asked for 33 billion 
And, you know, for Ukraine, it should always be put in quotes here because, like I said, none of it's actually going to Ukraine, uh, to the Ukrainian people. Some of it's going to Ukraine. They're going to pay the salaries of the Ukrainian government. Um, the Ukrainian military has already received the weapons, and this is back pay for the defense industry. The Ukrainian government will get more weapons. <laughs> but again, think about the situation that we're in right now. We are fighting... The American person, the American taxpayer, has been basically like drafted into this undeclared war against Russia on behalf of Ukraine, a non-NATO country. And now we're being told that the government is going to create $53 billion, which debases all of our wealth, if you live under the dollar system, to support what they call Ukraine, but none of it's actually supporting <laughs> Ukraine. Like it, 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 they're making it out like it's some type of charitable endeavor. Like we're just going to like feed the Ukrainian people. And I, I think that there is something delegated in the bill towards what they describe as humanitarian relief. But this is basically like money that's going to go to NGOs uh, that are affiliated with what are probably what you can describe as liberal corporatist institutions like George Soros's entities um, and, and who the, the overhead is enormous. Like these are what I see the Ukraine bill as it's just an enormous payoff between um, it for the military industrial complex. If you remember the last couple of years, big pharma has been um, getting filthy rich off on the backs of the American taxpayer and in my view, this is just the military-industrial complex. This is their turn. They're, they want some skin in the game. If you recall, from 2016 to 2020, the U.S. was engaged in several um, wars, you know, the so-called war on terror. But there were no new wars. And I think you know, whatever you think of Trump, to his great credit, he didn't start any new wars, did some random bombings and whatnot. But no major operations. He did the messed around in Syria a little bit, messed around the Middle East. I wanted to see more in terms of the withdrawals from Afghanistan, but there was no, from what I, my perspective, extra damage done. And when you're sitting there as a corporate executive at Raytheon, at Lockheed, at Boeing, this is like frustrating to you. So the people that you installed in the Pentagon um, a, a guy like Mark Esper, who was defense secretary under Trump, who was sitting on the Raytheon board, um, he seems to, he, he has a new book out and he's like all mad about Trump. And he, he had some revealing comments about, I, I think he, he didn't intend on it to be revealing, but he was kind of like, he's doing this book tour. I'm sure no one's going to buy a stupid book, but he was, he was talking about how you know the GOP has lost his way, yada, yada, yada. But if you can see through that, all he was really saying, and Esper is a guy who's just like made it, he was in the military and then he made a ton of money in the defense industry sitting on a variety of boards, did the whole revolving door thing, you know, in, inside the government, out of the government, into the defense industry, out of the defense industry, lobbying. He's done everything. But what, what was interesting is about what he said about the GOP was that, they need to go back to this era. It was something along the lines of like, they need to go back to this era of decency you know, that we had under Bush and blah, 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 blah. And what all, all he was saying was that my friends in the defense industry 
they haven't been, we haven't greased their skids enough and it's time to do so. <laughs> so what's interesting now is that you have all these people in the Pentagon, including Lloyd Austin, a, another former Raytheon board of directors member. And I don't understand why people aren't outraged about this. Like, how is it appropriate that a, a, a guy who was just making money selling weapons is now the right behind the commander in chief as the most important defense official in the nation, at least if you believe that Joe Biden is cognizant of what is going on in America. So maybe Lloyd Austin or, or whoever is directing him, the commander in chief, Lloyd Austin's like the most important defense man, and he's totally corrupted by the defense industry. And it seems that it, it goes to show here, here is a good example. It goes to show the power of the military industrial machine in D.C., if you notice the House vote, I talked about the 60-something Republicans that voted against this $40 billion in extra funding to make it you know, $55 billion, $56 billion, whatever it is. But every single Democrat voted yes for it. So they, it, 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 it's amazing how you have these so-called you know, left-wing anti-war Democrats, but they're seemingly afraid to vote against a bill that at least half of which publicly is going directly to the defense industry to make weapons and new bombs. And, and I, I, I thought that this, this used to be the party of, you know, Bush is a Nazi, uh, but they were right about the whole war in Iraq was bad thing. And I think that George W. Bush was indeed a war criminal. So that, you know, this used to be the talking points. They used to be on the, on the, you know, the, the, they used to be crazy about this stuff that, and I was only a teenager at the time, but in my view, that the left was right about the horrific wars that we engaged in um, in the early 21st century that, you know, we just got out of Afghanistan uh, 21 years after the war started. But they were right about this stuff. And now you have the Democratic Party, every single member of the party, every single elected representative votes yes for this funding bill. It, it's pretty astonishing. Um that they not one person wanted to deal with the consequences of voting no, because it seems the media, the corporate press, which gets a lot of funding from the defense industry, has, similar to COVID, indoctrinated the American people into believing that this is some kind of moral, righteous issue. There's this war in Ukraine, there's a good side that's the Ukrainian people, you know, they're fighting for freedom, they're they're freedom fighters. They're Jeffersonian Democrats, just like the, the Afghan military. And then you have this evil Russian Putin. And these sides are so far apart. And, and if you believe the corporate press and CNN and absolutely Fox News, that there's no possible way that you can't support Ukraine without being declared a puppet for Putin. You're evil. So I think what happened here was that the Democrats were just so terrified at least the legitimate anti-war Democrats were so terrified by being labeled a shill for Putin that they were roped into replenishing weapons inventories for the defense industry and paying off all of these middlemen. And when you read deeper into the legislation, it just gets worse and worse. Um, there's stuff in there. There's, there's tens of millions of dollars going to the salaries of Ukrainian officials, many of whom were personally installed by American presidents, American politicians, American 
um, lobbyists. And you have $67 million funding the Justice Department so they can create a team to seize Russian assets. Again, in our undeclared war against Russia, we are deciding to seize the assets of Russian nationals, um, and they include in the Justice Department memo, such as oligarchs' yachts. So apparently, if you've made your money as an oligarch in Russia and your yacht is parked in Miami, the Justice Department now has the right to just take your stuff. It, it, it's very sad for, for a country that was founded on the principles of private property. Private property is essential. And the government just decided that we're going to create a team to steal stuff from Russians. And Congress is funding it. So <laughs> that seems to be the state of affairs in America today. Um, it, it's really, it's really sad. And whenever I engage in, it, it's very tough to debate this issue. It, it, it's so much, to me, it's so much just COVID mania 2.0 all over again. It, it's become such an emotional firestorm for people that are engaged in this war that they don't realize that they're, in my view, being used as marks to advance this agenda. It, if you really believe that our government gives a shit about Ukraine, I have bad news for you. They, they don't. There was an amazing story today. Um, Steve Schmidt, this former uh, Lincoln Project, it's a great, let me preface this with, it's, it's a great it's great insight into how our ruling class actually operates. Uh, so Steve Schmidt, this like, uh, you know, never Trump guy, uh, he was a former founder of the Lincoln Project, and now he's he's on the war path against his, his old colleagues who he feels betrayed him or whatever. So in his subsect, he wrote an interesting story about John McCain today. And this was John McCain a few years before he died. Um, so... The McCain family at this point is enormously wealthy. You know, Cindy McCain sitting on the board of every big corporate American institution. Um, and John McCain, you know, this supposed Russia hawk. Steve Schmidt has a story in his Substack that John McCain spent his 70th birthday on the yacht of a Russian oligarch named Oleg Deripaska. And it makes you think, so what did... You know, what do these types believe? What does American foreign policy in the 21st century actually represent? And in my view, it's just that our ruling class wants to be in charge. So it's not so much the moral framework of Ukraine good, Russia bad. I, I, it seems clear from their actions that we want our people, when, I don't want to say we, because I feel like this ruling regime does not represent me whatsoever, and I'm sure many of you agree, that these people just want to be in charge. They want to install their guys everywhere across the world. And in doing so, they're willing to risk the prospect of nuclear war against Russia. Because remember, Russia has thousands of nuclear weapons, and the Russian people broadly, according to a lot of polling, support what Putin is doing. So if we're screwing with them, we are potentially um, enraging a population of over 100 million people. And while Russians 
military capacity is declining. They still have thousands of nuclear weapons. And there are still some completely insane people that are running the show in D.C. that think that that is a risk worth taking, enhancing the prospect for nuclear war, to make sure that their interests remain in play. By the way, if you have any questions or comments, um, use this call-in app to do so. I am very new to this thing, so if something pops up on my screen, I will try to um, answer it and get you on here. But yeah, I so much appreciate you guys being here. Um, it, it's the Ukraine situation is just like I've been wanting to kind of do a long form article and podcast about this for quite some time because it's just there. There are so many parallels to how society is operating. And, and I think Ukraine is just what, what people refer to as the current thing. That's really all it is. Uh, and the people in D.C. are just manipulating at least half the country, maybe more, into believing the next narrative. And while many of us, I think, you know, COVID acted as such a good eye opener for many of us, but for the other half of the country, it kind of just reinforced their belief in the regime. So these, this giant group of Americans is now on the Ukraine operation. They're totally 100% on board, and it's, um, it, it's insane. It's just totally insane. Um, I, I just, I, I can't get over the fact that we're going to print $50 billion and for Ukraine and, and call it a day. Um, while I have you guys here, let me see what the, if the thing passed yet, but if you didn't catch the beginning, um, there's current, the current status of this bill right now is that Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, he's holding it up in the Senate. He's using Senate privilege essentially to delay swift passage of it. So, you know, basically Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer uh, waving their hand and giving it support without having to vote on it. And what's interesting about this Rand Paul holdup thing is, while in the beginning I mentioned that it's not going to, it's not going to hold. Rand Paul knows this. Everyone involved knows this that Rand Paul isn't going to change the minds of his 99 colleagues in the Senate. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to raise awareness about how ridiculous this issue is. And that all Rand Paul wanted was to add an amendment to the bill, basically tracking where the money is going to end up. And these two Senate leaders, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, after hearing Rand Paul's speech, were totally outraged by this idea. They took to the presses and they said, the Ukrainian people, they're starving, they're dying, which is interesting because like, I thought, according to our same press, that Ukraine is winning this war um, and they're crushing Russia and they have Russia on their heels, but we need to give them all this money and we need to pay back the defense industry for the loans that they, the loaned weapons that they gave to Ukraine that were unauthorized through some backroom dealing. Um, it's just totally bizarre. But all Rand Paul wanted was to track these weapons 
and aid. And we want to we want a real accounting of where this fifty three billion dollars is coming from. Um, and remember, supposedly all you need is forty billion dollars to cure world hunger. So I guess that this isn't a moral enough issue to cure world hunger, but it is um, moral enough to uh, ensure a quick passage. Um, So if you remember, the Ukrainian military is an interesting outfit to say the least. I don't, I can't get into the entire history of the Ukraine Russia conflict. Perhaps I'll save that um, and do like a brief half an hour Um, conversation with you guys about that this Sunday. But essentially, Ukraine is the most corrupt country in Europe, if you don't include Russia, which is, you know, transcontinental. Um, But according to every possible um, transparency group pre-Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Ukraine was widely considered most corrupt country in Europe no contesting of this. These were all like liberal rights groups. So the Democrats can't claim that this is like some GOP MAGA operation. Ukraine is the most country, corrupt country in Europe. That's why Hunter Biden sat on the board of Burisma. That's why um, the Biden as VP was able to bribe the Ukrainian government to fire uh, a prosecutor who was investigating his family. Everyone knows this. So when you think about Ukraine as the most country in Europe, obviously their military is going to have some problems too. And since I've been following this war, I've been learning a lot about the makeup of the Ukrainian military. And it makes you kind of think about when we circle back to the moral question about who's in the right, who's in the wrong here. I've written about this extensively at my Substack dossier.substack.com. And what you find is that Ukraine and Russia, culturally speaking, ethnically speaking, morally speaking, they're actually very similar. I think this, this war is basically, it's a fight. It's a proxy war over who gets to be in charge of the stuff there. It's not about morality. It's about who gets to be in charge. Because if you you can just get a small taste of what exactly is going on in Ukraine, and you'd be shocked. Um, The idea that like, that this neo-Nazi problem in Ukraine is some type of Russian propaganda is false. Um, If you go to any of these telegram pages associated with the Ukrainian military, you most certainly have a major neo-fascist element in the Ukrainian military. They have the Ukrainian government through Zelensky and his patrons have upgraded the status of this infamous Azov battalion, which is another neo-fascist group that kind of traces its heritage to the times of Ukraine being an ally to the Nazi regime, they've upgraded the Azov Battalion to their special forces. So if you notice, it seems that that this battalion is everywhere where they're fighting the war, and that is because they receive substantial funding, the best weapons, um, 
all, all of this good stuff from Western countries. And I think that's why our Congress doesn't want to discuss this transparency issue because they know that these weapons are going to end up in the hands of very bad guys. And they prefer that the trail goes cold once it le- once these weapons leave the United States. And again, remember, most of these weapons have already left the United States. And, and this is another issue that Rand Paul wanted to raise is that why are we, why are we being committed to funding the defense industry for an undeclared war, uh, an undeclared proxy war against Russia? Like what exactly, how is this process at all representative of our system? When you think about it, the, the people in charge of our country, when the Ukraine war broke out, very shortly thereafter, decided to start funding uh, the Ukrainian side of the war effort. And there's been a lot of rumors, and I don't want to discuss the rumors of potential American military action. But what we do know for sure is that there's been so many American weapons and all kinds of aid flooding into Ukraine. And this is specifically being used by the Ukrainians in their war against Russia. So we have this proxy war where we're flooding the country with weapons and we're restocking the, the, the inventory of the defense industry all without a vote. And it's just, to me, it's just, it's just so, it's so bizarre. We don't, Remember, in Afghanistan or Iraq, we didn't declare war either. We haven't declared war for 70 years. So it, it, it's pretty crazy that we're, we're, we're on this, we used to be on this AUMF system, and now we're not even on the AUMF system anymore. We're just on this system where our elites have decided that they are willing to, to print, to debase our currency and start wars against nuclear powers and agitate nuclear powers all without considering the interests of the American citizen and Congress is going along with it. So I, I think it's, it's very important to, for people to start thinking about other ways to attack this issue because it, it just, it, it's not seemingly working right now through electing new politicians. There has to be a lot more done than just electing new politicians. Um, as good as Rand Paul is, and maybe like a J.D. Vance, some who, who I've been hugely supportive of, in having more anti-war legislators in Congress, as, as good as that is, it's still not going to do enough to you know, get this power out of these very centralized hands. Um, so I appreciate you guys being here. Um, I'll take any questions from you. I see in the comments box, uh, there is a question from, Hey, Joey, he says, do you think having an inspector general to oversee the spending would make any difference in how the money is spent? That's a really good question. Yes. I think having an independent inspector general would be great. Actually in Afghanistan, we had the special investigative um, general for Afghanistan reconstruction and that position, they did a lot of good work in exposing the ridiculous fraud and corruption that happened in Afghanistan. Uh, And 
as many of you may recall, we sent like the, you know, the Taliban, which rules Afghanistan now after the U.S. left, ended up with like some $80 billion worth of U.S. weapons and all kinds of materials and a billion dollar embassy that I'm sure they'll take care of <laughs> as best they can. Um, so this is more so the reason why I titled this in the sub heading the making of a money laundering operation is because similar to Afghanistan, this is how I see the Ukraine thing ending up is that they don't want this war to end anytime soon. The, there was this report that came out the other day that Boris Johnson had told Zelensky, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of England had told Zelensky that apparently that he did not want him to start peace negotiations with Russia because he viewed that you know, there was more work to be done to get Russia to back off, whatever. But to me, that was just Boris Johnson telling Zelensky, hey, you're not really the one in charge here. NATO, which is essentially the U.S. and a little bit of the U.K., we're the ones running this war now. And if you want what's best for you, if you want to continue to thrive, because remember, Ukraine is very much a 50-50 split between Russian and Ukrainian interests. And it seems that the West is just running the show in Ukraine. So I, I think that my, if I were to project out what's going to happen with this war in the next year or so, is that unless the Ukrainians take it upon themselves to save their country, I, I just think that Ukraine's going to be totally, uh, or unless you know Russia has a change of heart and wants to back off of these areas that are their these um, you know the, these warm water port areas that they feel they want to secure um, from Ukraine. If Russia doesn't back off and Ukraine doesn't doesn't change their ways, doesn't negotiate. It, it just seems that this war is going to go on for a long time. But Western interests want this war to go on for a long time. The, the, the uh, military industrial industry, they love this war. And, and as ridiculous as that sounds, we need to get out of this headspace that assumes that our side here is we are the moral actors. It's important to remember what our government has done to us over the last couple of years. They've committed horrific human rights atrocities against their people, instituted this COVID police state. So the prospect of tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars for the defense industry on the backs of the American taxpayer, as evil as that sounds, they will gladly support it as long as they can frame it in the right way. And that's why I think Rand Paul is taking a stand right now is to try to change the framing. And optimistically, I think that a lot of Americans are waking up to this nonsense. There are so many people who can see through it now that haven't seen it before. You know, you had these like, uh, the, the, the GOP used to be basically like, you know, the Sean Hannity CIA pin, uh, you know, blindly regurgitating war propaganda. But I think that you know, the, at least they mostly represent my side. I have a lot of problems with them. But I guess if I had to pick a side, it would be their side. I think that a lot of GOP or possible GOP voters are waking up big time. 
um, to the terrible costs of war, specifically with our horrible PTSD epidemic throughout our armed services and the costs that war has um, pulled into our society, it, it's hard to miss. Um, so Skip Netter says, I think you're spot on with everything. They will keep going with this death and the massive laundering at our expense. I also think it's waking a lot of people up to what is really going on. People that have had their heads in the sand, it's so in your face, it's undeniable. That's exactly right. Um, okay. So if anyone has anything else, I will continue to be here for the next couple minutes. If not, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, Let's see if there's any update on this Ukraine bill while I have you here. Um, And it's crazy. Like, if you just search for this on Google News, Ukraine aid bill, all you see is that Rand Paul is an awful person. He's holding this bill up. Ukraine is starving. They're dying. And remember, it's all nonsense. So if you read this from The Hill, uh, The Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, CBS News, Axios, CNN, like these headlines I'm reading, it's all the same nonsense. It's a Ukraine aid bill, Ukraine aid bill. Uh, it, it's not a Raytheon, $20 billion for Raytheon aid bill. Imagine if it was called the $20 billion for Raytheon aid bill. And we have a a, a baby formula shortage in, in the United States. Uh, you think that Congress would be able to pass a $20 billion for Raytheon aid bill? No. So they need to change the narrative. What's interesting is if you remember Biden, he asked for thirty-three billion, and now they're giving him forty. So the, the and the, this is so ridiculous. To to tell you a little bit about the state of the GOP, this is the state of how they negotiate. So Biden asked for thirty-three. They asked they they pushed back and said, "No, we'll give you 40. And the Democrats sitting on the sidelines said, "Hey, we can get some." some money here for our Afghan refugees and let's throw $10 billion in funding for COVID vaccines too. (laughs) So Mr. Connell in his infinite wisdom said, we can't do the COVID stuff um, because I think that he knows that the issue has become deeply unpopular, but we'll give you guys $40 billion. So we met with Joe Biden and Joe Biden said, yeah, sure. Let's let's do it. So now that's the deal on the table. Just forty billion dollars, seven billion more than he requested. Uh, the U.S. government is going to spend well over six trillion dollars this year. The deficit will be probably fifty percent. So you know, you just add two trillion, probably more, because there's all kinds of spending coming soon. Um, but now we're going to give $56 billion to the defense industry for Ukraine, and we're going to pay the salaries of Ukrainian officials that we control, and good luck affording your beef. <laughs> and that, that seems to be the message from the government, is we have these wealth, there's been a lot of wealth transfers lately, and the wealth transfers, as the government says, they're very moral wealth transfers, so you have to vote for these things. You have to give... You have to give billions of dollars to the Ukrainian 
threats to the so-called ostensibly to the Ukrainians because they're going to die if you don't give it to them. And Putin, remember, Putin's very evil. So this inner Slavic country that this inner Slavic, what I think is more so a civil war that's being fought on the eastern Ukrainian border, we need to spend $56 billion to help Ukraine. And I'll, I'll, I don't know if, if people realize the scale of military spending, but I'm looking at the Stockholm Internet, International Peace Research Institute. They do a fact sheet every year on military expenditures. And $56 billion would make Ukraine um, basically tied with France as the sixth most powerful uh, in terms of expenditures military in the world. Russia spends about the same amount every year. So the U.S. is going to stop. And maybe that's where they got this number from. Why we're, you know, approach We're only after two months, we're approaching $60 billion. Is that they're basically trying to match Russia's total military expenditures for the year and facilitate weapons deliveries to Ukraine in the process. Maybe that's what they're doing. But so there are, give or take, um, like 190, depends on how many countries you recognize in the world. And this foreign aid would make Ukraine sixth in the world. Um, Of course, you have the U.S., China, India, U.K., and Russia. Those will be, after Ukraine receives this, supposedly receives this money, after our military industry supports Ukraine with all these massive weapons and aid, which will end in complete death and devastation for probably hundreds of thousands of people there. Um, When they get all these heavy weapons, they will have the military capacity of France without the nuclear weapons. Um, So that's great. I, I I hope that Ukraine doesn't turn against us in the future because clearly, you know, there's no there's no way that that would happen because it didn't happen in Afghanistan or anything like last year. So <laughs> America's printing $56 billion. Um, Ukraine's now going to have an enormously powerful military with a significant neo-fascist element. Um, and their tip of the spear is some ruthless, pretty unsavory characters and they're going to have all these nice weapons and a lot of civilians are going to be killed in the process. But it's important, we're told, because Putin. <laughs> so Ukraine is now the greatest recipient of foreign aid in U.S. history. And I think this is going to end up a humanitarian catastrophe. And somehow our corporate press and ruling class tells us that those of us who oppose this, we are not the humanitarians, they are. And it's pretty shocking. And I'll leave it at that. Thanks so much, everyone. Really appreciate your time.